that's for me why this work is important for us as men is because uh, of how much unaddressed pain I think we have in our experience, because what is pain? A useless feeling like pain is just, you know, pain is purpose. If you will, pain is uh, almost pleasure because it's like, yeah, pain, I'm a man going through pain. Yeah. But it's like, there's what's the emotionality behind that. Uh, and if we can he- not even heal, if we can improve our relationship to that, then what does that allow us then to do today? Right. That's why I think for me, a lot of the emotional blocks we have as adults, as men, um, are coming from some of these experiences, from not relating well to the younger version of ourselves and not relating to the emotion we were feeling in that moment. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Mask Unity Podcast. The C is a K to represent the masks we wear as men in this world. I'm your co-host, CK, aka Coach Kyle. What's going on, guys? It's your boy Anwar Ahmed, aka A Squared. And today, the lads, Anwar and Kyle, the two of us have a great conversation coming at you, sparked by movie actually sparked by the Adam project uh, movie by Ryan Reynolds. So if you haven't watched it, it's okay. We're going to give you some context, but we got a really powerful concept topic about inner child work that we're going to discuss today. If you don't know what it is, it's okay. We're going to get into it. But before we do that, you know what time it is. It's move. Well, a little okay. Nah, you know, hey, listen, got the little vibrato going on over here. <laughs> going on, CK? How you doing, man? How you feeling? Let's do this. Mood check, folks. Mood check. Check in on your mood. What's your mood like today? What's your mood like in this moment? Get descriptive. Get technical. Uh, do your best to find the language. What's my mood check like today? It's it's been all over the place this morning. Truthfully, uh, I've had a lot of different kind of thoughts. Uh, some certain circumstances in my life that. Um, I've added some meaning to that don't necessarily have that same meaning, kind of the idea of creating a story out of something. I've been doing a lot of that this morning, which has been a road and a journey to, to move through. A lot of self-coaching, if you will, has been done this morning. Uh, and then this will come out obviously a lot later, uh, but shout out to the boy, Ed Mitz, Edward Middies. Uh, our good friend just finished his first marathon running on what he called chin splints for 42 kilometers, crushed it. Um, and that gave me a lot of vitality this morning. Um, Anwar's going to attest to that too. He was there and got to feel that vibe and that energy of a full marathon complete with an incredible time, sub four hours. So uh, that that sparked my day in a, in a different direction for sure, hearing his news and hearing his abilities like it's it's inspiring it's motivating and so gives you a different type of mood when you when your friends are crushing it like that and and really putting in the work to get to that point so lots of different (laughs) lots of different experiences this morning but i'm doing well right now and i'm excited to get into this conversation and talk about inner child work it's a little nerves around that actually now that i say that out loud inner child work uh so yeah lots of lots of moods this morning lots of moods yeah, I know. It's, uh, I mean, definitely inspiring. I was, uh, I was able to kind of take part a little bit and even more so just more than more than just the race day itself. I mean, I, I watched him essentially train for this thing. Right. So like, mm-hmm. you know, watching him, you know, uh, 
mentally think about this 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 event and uh, train for it and prepare for it and all the different challenges you have to go through in terms of kind of um getting to this final point it was it was kind of very resembling of like life you know watching someone you know and there's a lot of people that saw him at the finish line today but i kind of got a different seat to the whole experience right like those guys are like yay high five and i was like all those times he was foam rolling all those times he was with the theragun all those times he you know was stretching out this muscle or that muscle um you know and all the all the, all the work that he put in so it was really cool to see him enjoy that moment and actually reach his goal and do better than what he he wanted to do so i'm definitely feeling some energy from that um, my mood outside of that, you know, um, my birthday just passed, which is, you know, it always really kind of puts me in, I don't want to say a negative thought process, but it, I start to like reflect on everything that I've done. You know, your birthday comes around, you turn an age and you start to reflect on the whole thing. You know, you look at the whole totality of things and sometimes the reflection period is, you know, a couple of days and sometimes it drags on a little longer than I wanted to, you know, you start to, you stay in that frame of mind of thinking about like, you know, what are you doing? What have you done? What are you accomplishing? Um, what are you after? Where's the target? Have we lost sight of the target? Um, and, I feel a little, a little off balance, I would say from that thought process. Um, I feel a little bit unsure. Uh, I, I went into sometimes, you know, that day comes and you turn that age and you're like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm right on track. Like, this is perfect. Like things are going, you know, in the right direction, like whatever. This one felt a little different. I kind of got there and was like, we're on, we're on a podcast here, right? You get asked a question that it kind of felt like I was getting stumped by my own questions. You know, I just was like, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Um, I'm not sure. You know, I feel like there's a lot of uncertainty going on in my life right now, which is I, I need to sit down and iron it out and figure out a game plan and figure out, you know, what I'm aiming for and what I'm trying to do. Um, I feel like the target is just a bit fuzzy right now. It's a little bit blurry. Um, and, my characteristic doesn't like blurry targets. I don't, that's not what I like that. Uh, I know a lot of people, there's a lot of people that are a bit more fluid than me, maybe in nature and, you know, a moving target, you know, actually kind of gets them excited. Uh, moving targets are like the beginning of like my end, you know, once I, once I lose sight of the target or I start to kind of feel a little discombobulated with what I'm doing, um, I start to lose the fire and I start to lose the, you know, the desire and the interest of like, what is this all for? You know, what are we doing here? Um, so yeah, that's, that's the honest, real truth about how I'm feeling. I'm, I'm feeling a little bit, feeling a little bit small in, uh, in, in myself, um, after turning the big old 31. So, mm. um, that's how I'm feeling. Fair. I appreciate you sharing. It's the ebbs and flow of aging, I guess, is, I think that it's a, it's a beautiful idea to say, you know, uh, age doesn't matter and it doesn't influence me. And, you know, I, uh, just get older and things get better. But at some point, I think too, there's also a got to be an acceptance for the feeling that does end up showing up, you know, like it's not uh, necessarily that I think you should accept it more. It's just that the feeling will may show up and that that's okay. It doesn't mean that uh, you feel any type of way about life, but aging is, is a difficult process because it's just getting closer to what we consider the end. Right. So I appreciate you sharing that honesty uh, and for, really just kind of diving deep into like, yeah, man, like this one, this one was tough. Uh, this one was tough and, and it's okay that it's tough. I honor that it's tough. I appreciate you just sharing that. It's beautiful. Yeah, man. Thanks. I think, I think that's, a, that's a good way to put it. I think it's just, it's just tough. I just don't, um, 
yeah, I don't really, I, I left that reflection just unsure and just being like, and it's, it's annoying because, you know, the hardest part of like, you know, sometimes life is that like you are trying your best, you know, it's not like you're shortchanging the effort. Like, you know, right. you are trying the best that you can do. And so when you're trying your best and you're coming up short, that's a very empty feeling to live with, you know, especially, especially over an extended period of time where, you know, you're putting your, it's one thing to not be trying your hardest and underperforming, you know, cause then the, the feedback there is just, if you just try harder, you know, mm. you're putting in three hours of work right now, you're not putting in eight and you, and you expect eight hours of work of results. You know, that's mm. just, that's shortchanging the process, but I've never been one to really shortchange the process. I've never been one to cut a corner. I think I've always tried my, my hardest at things that, you know, I, I care about and, and that in itself sometimes is, is, is why it's, it's, it's tough. Cause it's like, man, I, the, I guess I can give you 150% effort. Like, you yeah. know, it's just like, you're already overexerting yourself. Um, and you're not really getting the, you know, so I think the best <clears> thing that comes to mind is there's the difference between working hard and working smart. You know, I think that you need to find a way to like do it differently or, um, I think it's, it's a very worried place for me to be with no target because targets, whether you hit them or not, are both beneficial. If you hit them, great. If you miss them, you know what you're aiming for. So you know what you could do to get better. Mm-hmm. But when there's no target or you are just kind of living in limbo, mm. that's very dangerous because you, there's no, there's no grade to how you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. You're just in limbo you're in the middle yeah. of nowhere. You know, I'd rather have a target to miss than no target at all. Right. Yeah. Missing something implies that there's, there's an opportunity for growth, you know? Um, but yeah, that kind of yeah. summarize that. Yeah. Well said. Well said. <clears throat> I appreciate you sharing. That's, a, that's our mood for today, folks. Uh, it's the real raw honesty of the truth. And again, just a reminder to check in with your mood today and just be real and honest and fully vulnerable with yourself and maybe with somebody else too. It's nice to share sometimes. So to get into the conversation today, I mentioned that we are referencing a movie today, specifically The Adam Project. This is a movie that was created by Ryan Reynolds. I believe it's on Netflix. And the concept uh, of inner child work was sparked in that conversation um, that was had in the movie. And it was also sparked by Addison in one of our last episodes. He kind of brought up at the end of the episode how that movie related to him on a personal level. We asked him the question, if you could go back and speak to younger Addison, what would that be like? And he referenced the way the movie kind of flipped that narrative and asking what would younger Addison say to me today? And for us, I think what we're going to do with this conversation is walk in uh, as beginners, because we are in this realm of inner child work. It's not a very common thing yet. It's something that's still kind of growing getting interest and it's essentially a a way to heal and so i'm just going to go through some of the terminologies i guess that are related around inner child work we're going to discuss that uh, and then give you kind of some tools and practices and uh, opportunities maybe to dive into this for yourself and see if it supports you there's so many modalities to healing in our lives there's so many different practices and so this is just another one we want to provide for your toolkit so what is inner child work So thankfully, I have the uh, beautiful gratitude of having a partner who does this frequently with her clients. So I have a a lot of different understandings around what it is. But according to, we'll we'll say the definition, the dictionary definition, if you will, it says it's an approach to recognizing and healing childhood trauma. 
So that can already sound like, whoa, big word, trauma, a little T or big T. It can seem very daunting. The way that she describes it and I describe it, um, at least the way that it's shown up is it's essentially a process to meet the needs that went unmet as a child and provide by a reparenting process, um, the love and support and belonging that was missing growing up. So the reparenting meaning being the parent we needed back then. So that's how I see it. And that's how it kind of supports me. I think that again, that idea of like going back and healing childhood trauma is not something we're trying to do in this episode. So to give a little bit more context again, so it's like, what were our needs as children? And how did that go about being met by our parents? Even if our childhood seemed like if it was perfect. So as I say that to you, uh, what does anything come up? Like, does anything show up in your mind? Does it make you go somewhere in your past that was like, whoa, uh, and yeah, just what, what comes up for you? Yeah, I think the, I think the first thing that really sticks out to me is the, the, the idea of calling it like inner child work. You know, I mm -hmm. think that like the word, the word work implies what you have to actually do the physical part of it, you know, like mm -hmm. the actual, like going back and revisiting and all of that. And I understand why it's probably called that, but it kind of really lands more for me where it's just inner child healing. You know, it's, mm. it's, it's, it's just like, it's the healing process of like, and you can just take that from like context of just like any fight that you've ever got with, with anybody, you know, anybody in the street, any grudges that you currently have in your current life, you know, that you're carrying, you're carrying that grudge with you. You know, it's something that's with you. You're angry at something or you're upset about a situation or you felt pain from a circumstance. And anytime we do that, we're holding that with us. Right. Mm -hmm. I think to me, this is just kind of highlighting like what are what are those grudges or those pain points or the, that anger that we're holding against a younger version of ourselves, mm -hmm. you know, where you're almost trying to like delete that memory out of your mind, you know, where it's like same way you wouldn't talk to that person that you're not friends with. You'd walk right mm -hmm. past them. Yeah. You know, you're kind of <laughs> well doing said. that with the seven year old version of yourself, you know, like there's a seven year old, there's an eight year old version of yourself who, you know, was a part of you at one point and you were that person and you were feeling some certain emotions and the grudges that you to even extend on it more the grudges that you felt at that age with the entities that were around you it'd be your parent it'd be your aunt it'd be your cousin you're still carrying that into your adulthood you know mm -hmm. and it's crazy because our memories are flawed so we don't really remember exactly why we're holding that grudge mm -hmm. so so strongly you know so your eight year old version of yourself is so upset about, you know, um, ex parent and their actions or their lack thereof. And, um, the way that that can show up in your, you know, your, 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 your life today is that like, you're trying to maybe right the wrongs a little bit and that could add pressure to your life. You know, mm -hmm. this grudge that you're holding on this eight year old version of yourself is holding onto a grudge against your dad, maybe for example. And then now in your adulthood, you're just trying to like, either prove your dad wrong still, or you're going to show them like, you know, I'm going to be a better dad, but it's not coming from a genuine place. It's coming from a place of pain and resentment and anger, you know, mm -hmm. which is our heavy emotions to carry, you know? And I think that a big part about this conversation is going to be the understanding of just like, could we be lighter mm. in our existence, in our day to day? Could we be lighter in the way we go at things? Because weight adds pressure 
and pressure is what we're talking about ultimately with this platform, right? Is how to reduce some of the mental pressure we put on ourselves, how to reduce some of the physical pressure that we put on ourselves and how to reduce some of the expectation pressure that we put on ourselves, whether it be fabricated and made up in your mind or factual and, and real, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the inner child work speaks to the lightening of the load, you know? taking things off your plate uh, and not living in such a place of like, I don't know about you, but I struggle to hold a grudge. It's hard. It's actually Mm -hmm. hard for me to hold grudges. Um, It's active work. You know, I have to remember I'm mad at you. Like I have to remember that like, you know, I would get into fights with my sisters and stuff and like forget after an hour. Like I'd be like, I'm not talking to you. And then like go upstairs and just like, it's so much energy to hold it. Being Mm -hmm. angry is hard to hold. You know, it's like, it's a, it's an energy that like your shoulders are tense. Like you have to be mad. Um, and so for me, it's the lightness, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and unfortunately it's some uncomfortable work because some of us have some childhood trauma that is, um, bigger than others, right? Little mm-hmm. T's, big T, the small T they say. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that's what comes up for me is like, it's, it's, it's really inner child healing. And, mm-hmm. uh, what I resonate with is this idea of like, almost like trying to forgive what was, but we're, we're past that point, right? Like as an adult, now I can forgive my friend who I'm at at right now. I'm at that age right now, but there's mm-hmm. a nine-year-old grudge back there that I just kind of went past and never dealt with, you know, mm-hmm. almost going back and revisiting that uh, and yeah. seeing if you can make amends with that story. Yeah. I like the way that you said the lightness in that. I think that that's a, a great way of putting it. And it brought up this, uh, age-old reference of holding something holding on to something right it's there was this video i know you know it i think everyone everyone does but i'll explain it it's a teacher in front of a class and they look at um, a glass of water in front of the class and the teacher says how heavy do you think this glass of water is and they're like well not that heavy uh and so he gives or he basically holds the glass up in front of everyone he's like okay how heavy do you think it is now and they're like well a lot heavier He's like, okay, got it. So what if I hold on to this glass with my arm out here for an hour? You think I could do it? How long do you think I could hold this glass up half full of water for before I have to drop it before it's too much before it's, you know, it's, it's extremely heavy, right? The, the, I didn't add anything to it. It's just this, it's holding on to this glass of water with my arm straight. Like how, how, how long can I do that for? And the reference there was that so much of our past is just glasses of water. We're just holding on to them for so long. And the water itself isn't heavy. The glass of water itself isn't heavy, but the, how long you're holding on to it makes it heavier and heavier and heavier. And that's the lightness that you were referring to, right? Is it's not to say that these things didn't exist, but it is about, can we put them down even just for a moment? Like even just to drop the suitcase that, that you're walking with throughout life and just put it down for like a few moments. You can pick it back up if you want to, um, but just, just to let down the tenseness, let down the, the strength that you feel you, you have because you've been holding the suitcase on for so long. Uh, so I like that reference. Uh, and I think that that speaks a lot to how I've processed personally in our child work. And then um, to work off of your memories are distorted concept. Uh, I think that I know for me personally, I mean, anytime I'm reflecting on something, I actually struggle to find the memory. And so I go back and I'm like, it's just like, I just don't understand. I, I feel like I feel some type of way about this. And I feel like there must've been something there, but I have no real memory about it. Or I go back and I say, yes, this is exactly how this happened. And I create this, what feels like a truth uh, out of that memory. 
And then I tell someone about it and they're like, that's not how it happened. And we talking about that's exactly how it happened. I can see it in my head. I, and I see the story and they're like, no, it happened differently. And I've been navigating this in my current day and age, this, this distorted memory concept. And what I like about what we're talking about today is what we're doing is we are addressing the distorted memory, but also at the same time, what inner child work does is it addresses the truth of the feeling or of the emotion, right? That's, that's for me where this really caught me was I can't go back and change anything, right? Uh, Peter Crone has a great quote. He says, uh, things happen the way they happen and it couldn't have been any different because it wasn't. It's just the, 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 the truth of that statement is like, it couldn't have been different because it wasn't. It has already happened the way it happened. So I can't go back and change any of the ways in which those situations happen, but I can look back and connect to, if I try hard enough, because for me, it's difficult connect to that younger version of me and try to understand, you know, what was he feeling in that moment? Not what the circumstances were, um, but what was the emotion that I was feeling? And is there something in that specific emotion that is affecting me as an adult that is affecting me uh, in processing maybe that emotion today? And a great example for me is anger. I've talked about that a lot in this podcast is, uh, Anger was uh, something that was very pre present in my life as a child. And the way that I saw it uh, was in a, maybe call it small T trauma way. But for, for, I think me, it felt like big T. And so anger is now something that I don't allow myself to feel because I didn't have a, I, I had this experience when I was younger. And what I think I've understood, or even in this moment I'm understanding is that it, that anger made me really sad. Like it, it made me really sad and I felt like uh, my entire nervous system like had to, um, or not had to, went to fight or flight in that experience. And it made me really sad. It put me in pain uh, and it made me feel really unsafe. And so what I've never done is said uh, anything to that younger version of me. It's just like, yeah, I know that happened. Yeah. Yeah. Of course I felt that way. Like, do you see the circumstances? Duh. Like, isn't that obvious? I know I'm getting a bit into the conversation, but this is kind of what, for me, this conversation brings up is going back into those experiences and asking myself, like, what was younger Kyle feeling? Because I don't know what younger Kyle was thinking, but the emotion side of it lives in the body, right? So I can, I can if I give myself a bit of, of breathing room and space, I can connect to that emotion that he was feeling and try to understand maybe him and his experience then. Um, and then that is why we do this work, why this work is important. Cause it helps us feel today. Big story time. I know. And I, I, I love that. I mean, getting, getting right into it is kind of, you know, I think what we should do kind of next here, but it's, I think that, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to think that, you know, sometimes we're carrying things for so long that we forget why we're carrying it, but we've built a whole storyline around it. Mm-hmm right? It's almost part of your fabric, right? It's part of your kind of like the way you tick your DNA. And so sometimes it's very uncomfortable to go revisit something that's been fueling you for so long, you know, and to admit that maybe it was different, you know, mm. maybe it was a little bit different. And, you know, to, for, to pull a reference out of the, the, um, the Adam project movie, there was a, there's a, there, there's a scene at the very end 
where the little version of Adam is speaking to the, and they live in the same universe. Um, you know, just to give you some context on the movie here without spoiling it all, essentially it's like an action movie with this like small, this narrative in the background of this inner child work where like an older version of him is in the same time zone as the younger version of him. They have to interact, they have to hang out, but they're the same person. And towards the end, there's, there's that one scene where you can tell that the older Adam has this like resentment to his father about like how much he committed to his craft and his work and had no time for him and all of that. And the younger version of him is going, what are you talking about? He always, he always made time for us to catch as tired as he was. He was always made time for us to throw the ball and to, to catch him. Mm. And then he, he even said, you know, he was like, but isn't that the reason why he bought us that? He, he had this like little trampoline thing he would throw the ball up against if you were like, you know, playing by yourself. And he was like, but isn't that the reason why he bought us that to like negate hanging out with us? And he was like, no, we begged for that. Like we asked <laughs> every time we went by the right. store, I would see it and I would say, I want that. Can you get it for me? And he bought it for me. Mm. Like, and so that's where I guess the distortion of it kind of plays into like this bigger narrative. You know, it's like we make we may we may perceive a lack of time or we may have perceived like we may have not have received the love how we wanted it. And, and, and have extrapolated that into, I didn't receive any love at all, mm -hmm. you know? And to give context to that, I think so, just to continue with that story, uh, one of the biggest reasons why he created that story was because his father did pass as a young boy. So then there was this feeling towards his father no longer being there that extrapolated a feeling in him that gave him a feeling of this deep emotionality that that almost felt like his mind was forced to create these protective stories. So the pain necessarily wasn't fully felt, right? Like it's, yeah, he bought that. So we had to play alone. So we could never be around when that wasn't the truth. It was just the way he perceived it post father passing. So there's that little tiny bit of context. Cause that's the, the way in which the story all of a sudden took a left. Like if, if the father didn't pass, those memories would have stayed clear and true and said, yeah, he was always playing with us, but because something happened, this, you know, little T capital T trauma, traumatic experience, um, forced everything to go a different direction in his mind based on his emotions. So I just wanted to add that tidbit in there because, um, I think that's incredibly important to reflect even on our own experiences and be like, you know, um, what, what turned left and then maybe what actually happened before that is not actually what we think. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, to, to end my point there was more so just like, there's there's things that we carry for years that are a part of our storyline so to speak that we might not be remembering correctly you know we might not be um and as you get older you get new perspective too right so when you're younger you might have been quicker to an a, a, to, to a pain point or to be angry because there's lack of empathy lack of understanding of like what someone might be going through to you know to have made you feel that way not that you you're not valid in how you feel but at that age, you didn't understand all the other circumstances that could have played into the reason why you're feeling the way you're feeling, right? Mm -hmm. Where when you're older and you go back and revisit some of this, you have a more empathetic, you have a more understanding of like the bigger picture of like that little boy, right? Like, you know, a little version of myself. When I think back to like, you know, grade six or grade seven, I can be like, oh, damn, like that kid was going through a lot, but there was a lot of things going on around him too, you know? And so though, though all those things that he was feeling were valid, when I think about the surrounding or the circumstances and all of that kind of stuff, I can make more sense of it all, you know, and mm -hmm. sometimes that little shift in perspective where it's like, oh, okay, I can make more sense of the environment that that kid was in. Therefore, if I was back there with this 
thought process in this hindsight 2020, I wouldn't have maybe felt as bad or I wouldn't have felt as angry. I wouldn't have felt as, you know, sad about the situation had I had the perspective, but I didn't, you know, mm-hmm. so I took it as I'm pissed and I'm still carrying that right now, you know? Um, so that's where I think that it's, it's super powerful. So it's, it's like, uh, you know, they talk about like going back and almost rewriting the story a little bit, you know, going back and revisiting parts of your life that are a little bit darker and trying to, and, and it's not to erase, there's some bad people out there, right? Like it's not to go back and erase, pretend that something was, that was bad was good. Um, I think it's just to add more perspective to the experience. And, you know, I, I, I listened to a Ted talk and I thought you said it beautifully. She said, inner child work is, you know, being at home, think about being at your house and, a part of your life or a chapter of your life, whatever age you were at, whatever trauma that you were going through is at your door and they knock on the door and you open the door and you're looking at the seven-year-old version of yourself and all the pain that comes with it. And they're going to share it to you. She was like, inner work trauma is allowing that kid in the house and saying, come in, let's talk. What happened? Mm-hmm. What were you thinking? What were you experiencing? And just letting the, letting that experience actually breathe instead of what we've done in, which what we do with most trauma is suppress it and try to forget about it and bury it and never deal with it ever again. Um, but then that would be attending to something um, that would be like not using the best practice of healing for like something that you're just not attending to, right? A, if you cut yourself today, a, a cut that you attend to and you take care of and you put the right gauze on and you do the right steps, it's going to heal better than one that you just try to ignore and never look at. And, you know, it could heal in a very unhealthy way or an, an ugly way it could get infected, all those kind of things. So I think that that was just kind of the, the way that she phrased it is, you know, doing inner child work is allowing those chapters of your life that you've maybe closed off to and you're, 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 you're resistant to visit. It's allowing them to come knock on the door and being like, all right, come in. I can, we'll talk. Let's, let's deal mm-hmm. with it. And she was like, and sometimes these conversations when they come in are not great. They're very uncomfortable. They mm-hmm. suck. Um, but to have the courage to let them in and to, to deal with it and to, to live in it and to give yourself the power back is powerful. Yeah. And it brings up a story, but just before I get to that story, it, it brings up like, the challenge is that you if you were to face the younger version of yourself and they were to show up at the door what you also then have to face um, is accepting the fact that that younger version of you was emotionally struggling was was in some sort of emotional you have to accept the fact that they were in pain you have to accept and and recognize and even welcome almost the idea that they were really sad in that moment or that were really hurt by that moment or felt abandoned in that moment. Like you have to acknowledge that. And to acknowledge that it's like, it's not just something that's separate from you, right? Like this inner child, like the, the visual of it is that he walks in, in our case, he walks in and he's there. And then he's probably fine until you ask him how he's feeling. And you're like, whoa, I feel what you're feeling because you're seven. Like, of course, I'm empathizing with you. You're seven. Like I can see you crying in front of me um, or I can see the, the, the pain that you're going through. And so the reality of that is that that's, you're facing that in your own mind, which means you're, just, you're facing a piece of you. You're facing a part of you, a part of your past, a part of your life, a part of your human. And that means you're going to likely have to feel what he was feeling. Uh, and that's what makes it so scary. And that's what makes it so daunting is like, oh, like, I don't really want to, I don't really want to feel that. And that's the suppression part. Right. And my example is uh, a reference that I've, I've lived with for a long time. It was a portion of my life. I was in elementary school and it was my first elementary school. And 
I always refer to that version of me, that, that experience, though, those years from like, I don't know, grade one to grade five. Um, I call myself a little shit. Right. And I've always done that because I look at my behavior in the past and in that experience. And I said, what are you, what are you doing? Like, what's wrong with you? Are you going to be okay? Like what you don't, why are you acting this way? Like I did some absurd things. I was always in the detention. I was, uh, I don't think I fully got suspended, but I was just not hanging out around the right kids. Uh, I was even getting into like disputes on the playground, like potential fights. I've never actually fought, but potential fights were building. Um, I was acting out in so many ways. And I look at that kid and I'm like, you are, you're a disaster. What are you doing? And I've never in my lifetime considered giving him empathy. Not that I, I don't, yeah, I don't even really know. It's just, it's not something that I think about. It's just, I know he's acting this way. And then I look and I look at his circumstance. And before I did this work, I said, yeah, of course I was showing up that way. It's just, it just makes sense. Like this is my circumstances surrounding me were very unpredictable and kind of all over the place for a bit in that lifetime and that experience. So yeah, this, this makes sense. And again, by saying this makes sense, I'm basically saying that it's okay that I look at him like he's a little shit because who wouldn't um, in those circumstances? Wouldn't everyone be a little shit in that circumstance? Duh. And what I don't ever actually recognize, and this is the power of inner child work, is uh, like he was not doing okay. That version of me, he was not okay. And I've never, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've talked about this so many times and um, I've never said that out loud. Like he was not doing okay. Um, and this is it. This is it right here, right? Like shit, this is it. This is, um, this is the power of this work is, is uh, whatever he was going through in that time. Um, the younger version of me, whatever I was going through in that time, like, it was just, it was a craving. It was a reach to be seen, to be heard, to be loved, to be accepted, uh, and to feel safe. And, and, and that's all I wanted in that time frame. And so I fought for it. I lashed out. I was all over the place. My anger was a disaster. I was hanging around with the wrong crowd. I was acting out in so many ways. And it was all just to, just to feel those feelings, just to have my in so many ways, my basic needs met to be fully seen, to be fully heard, to be understood, to be loved. And because I, I didn't feel those things, I felt hurt. I felt, I felt a lot of pain. And that shows because, well, now I'm getting teary in this conversation. Uh, and I, didn't, I've, I did not expect that. So um, I'm not exactly sure where that was going. I think for me, it was just the representation of, of, of that example of if he walked in the door. And he gave me all of his feelings. I think I would be shocked in this moment because I would have, I would have never thought that I'd be like, yeah, you're just, you're, you're probably angry and that's the end of it, but it's so much more than that mm -hmm. uh, as a test to my tears in this damn conversation. So yeah, I'm not quite sure how that sits with you on the other side or even uh, with the audience. But again, this is for me, just the power of this work. It just brings up unexpected feelings. You didn't know you had when you were that age. Mm hmm. I mean, that was a very honest moment right there. Right. I think that 
there's a takeaway at all from this conversation is just like how much emotion can come up in such a small memory, right? A small reflect. And I think what you just showed there was a little compassion to the younger version of yourself in like a split second there. And then it, it all kind of, kind of came out, right? It's like this, it's so easy. I think in the world today, we live in like a, a labelist society where they're just so quick to label like little shit, boom, stick a sticker on the little shit kid, boom, that kid's labeled, right? But what is a little shit kid going through, right? Like, what's the second part of that question? Like, they just a little shit to be a little shit? Or do they have like, you know, deeper things that they're going through? And I think what you illustrated there so beautifully was like, really now, like, you know, my new perspective on like what inner child work looks like really is like, is like being a therapist to yourself. You know, like what I pictured there was that like little Kyle was on the, one of those classic benches, like the therapist <laughs> bench, and you were sitting there with like, okay, tell me how you feel. But weirdly yeah. enough, you are that person, you know, like, mm-hmm. so when they share something, you're like, holy, like, hey, man, it's going to be okay, dude. Like, it's not like, you know, you, you're naturally obviously going to be empathetic to that person because you, you wouldn't tell that person, no, you're a little shit. You would be yeah. like, if you're that kid's therapist honestly and they were telling you how they felt you would have to take a different route right yeah and so that's the visual that comes up for me is like can you allow yourself to talk to yourself in a way that is almost separate where it's like the younger version of you is explaining the pain that they're going through and it's explaining like the challenge that they're facing and the older version of you with the perspective that you have now and the knowledge that you have now and the experiences that you have now is reflecting back and being genuine with that person you know acknowledging that their pain was valid, acknowledging all the circumstances, right? The same way we would give people advice right now. If someone came in very overworked and felt very overwhelmed, you would just try to offer more like, hey, I understand you're overworked. I understand you're this, like these feelings are valid. Have you considered this? Have you considered that? And then that ultimately makes that person's emotion start to, whether it like brightens up or starts to like puts more perspective. And we, we go to therapy for hopefully like, sometimes it's not just advice. It's just like a shift, right. And just how you were thinking about something already. And I think that that's the power of this is like, yeah, we could get therapy for who we are right now, but could we also get therapy for like what we already have been through, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and revisit some of those pain points. So that's really the picture that you painted for me. There was just, I saw you literally be the therapist for yourself and, mm-hmm. you know, it led to that. Um, and so, yeah. And that's, that's, that's it, right? Like that's this conversation is um, that shift. It's, it's what I refer to my coaching as is like, I meet with people once a week um, and my only job is not to revolutionize their life. It's to make a 1% shift. That's mm-hmm. it. And, and 1% shifts compounded over time like just like you do the diagram right one percent shifts you go and then all of a sudden you're no longer on the same path right? that's it that's all it takes yeah and something i want to add to my story and it's the next part of this conversation is why why do this why is this work important for us as men specifically yes it's it's important for everyone but we're having this conversation about us as men and I'll answer first in my own personal context, and then I'll, I'll let you answer why the question, why is this work important for us as men? In that little moment I just had here, the very unexpected moment of looking at the younger version of myself and saying, yeah, you were not okay, little man. In that little moment, I got sad. I felt sad. I felt, I felt sadness. And that was the specific emotion I was feeling. 
Now, if you were to ask me before this conversation, what's your relationship to sadness as an adult? Well, I would say I wouldn't let myself be sad. What is sadness, right? Like I don't, I cry sometimes, sure, but like I'm not sad. What's sadness? I don't have a great relationship with sadness, but I've never questioned myself. Why? It's just, what do you mean? The society says we're not supposed to cry. So of course I'm not crying. Duh. And I grew up with circumstances that were like, you know, don't be a pussy and, you know, boys don't cry and all this stuff. And I've I've been around that experiences, but I have a deeper root there, right? There's a deeper root to my relationship to sadness. And in this moment, I think I uncovered a little bit of it. It was that little boy in that moment was feeling really sad. He was feeling really sad. And I didn't know that until I addressed him in this moment and said, hey, here's a little compassion. And I'm now crying as an adult, (laughs) right? And so that's for me, why this work is important for us as men is because uh, of how much unaddressed pain I think we have in our experience, because what is pain? A useless feeling like pain is just, you know, pain is purpose, if you will. Pain is uh, almost pleasure because it's like, yeah, pain, I'm a man going through pain. Yeah. But it's like, there's what's the emotionality behind that? Uh, and if we can he- not even heal, if we can improve our relationship to that, then what does that allow us then to do today? Right. That's why I think for me, a lot of the emotional blocks we have as adults, as men, um, are coming from some of these experiences from not relating well to the younger version of ourselves and not relating to the emotion we were feeling in that moment. And to wrap this all up, um, why is this important for work is um, uh, growing up, to give just basic context, growing up, pain was not something that I was felt like I could feel, right? It was, don't be a pussy, you're fine, it's all okay, you're, you're okay, like walk it off, all these things. There wasn't a, a validation of that pain. So what do I do today? I don't validate my own pain. If I'm, if I'm in pain emotionally, if I'm in pain physically, if I'm in pain in, and just in general, I don't validate that. I don't say it's okay. For me, it's a problem. And because it's a problem, uh, I am stressed out about it and, um, or I'm suppressing it or I'm ignoring it or pretending like it doesn't exist because whatever. So it's like that relationship has been built from those experiences of not being able to address my own pain. And that's why it's important as, as work for us as men is how much of a disconnect we have so that's my, my, my acknowledgement, why I believe in this conversation, this is so important for us to do as men. Um, so I'll reframe the question back to you as well. Why do you think um, this work is important for us as men? Yeah, I think that you, I mean, you made some very, very, very solid points there. I think that, you know, I really resonate with some of the things that you said, but to add mm-hmm. to kind of, you know, what you said there, I think the other reason why I think is very important is like, that's where we, that was, that's like the origination of like suppressing your emotions where they started from. Right. Like we weren't told to, you know, stop crying now. We weren't like we became these people through those experiences. Right. Like Mm. there was a young version of yourself that was told to like, like, shut up, you know, don't, you know, don't feel that don't do that. Right. So it's, 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 it's always, it's almost allowing our ability to go back and, um, you know, we're, we're willing to choose to be vulnerable today. Let's say like the rhetoric is maybe a little bit better and we're hoping, you know, with this platform and that we're, we're speaking to, um, being more in tune with your emotions and being more comfortable with them and speaking about them more and all that kind of stuff. But we're also trying, I think what inner work does is it allows you, gives you permission to go back and do it there too. You know, let's, let's not just like be vulnerable now, but let's go back and be vulnerable with that guy too. Like, let's Mm -hmm. go, let's go back and like, let's, 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 let's redo it a little bit. You know, we've carried the torch this long. 
you know, and sure, yeah. 2023, I'll be a vulnerable person, but like, can we go back to 2003? Can we go back to 2000, you know, and show maybe a little bit of that vulnerability back there? Because those are all, all those storylines are making up who you are right now. Right. Mm-hmm. So I might be feeling okay right now, right in this moment, right? If I say, let's say I dated a girl in the future, she's getting a very polished version of me. The, the one that's willing to be vulnerable, the one that's like expressing, you know, emotions, stuff like that. But there was a part of me that wasn't like that a long time ago that never got dealt with. Right. So are we, should we go deal with it? You know, and I think that the biggest thing too, that I find about this work that I think is super compelling is the concept of emotional intelligence. You know, mm-hmm. the first framework of emotional intelligence is like your ability to understand yourself or your ability to understand others, you know? Yeah. And for me, that is what really resonates is like, if I can go back, if you can have that emotional moment that you just had for your a younger version of yourself, I genuinely believe that you'll be able to hold that space for somebody else. You just did it for a younger version of yourself that it doesn't even exist anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. And so being able to tap into that, that empathy, that, that, that empathy for like, Hey, listen, I'm willing to forgive myself for shit that happened to me that I did, or, you know, I'm willing to go that just to me reflects someone who would be able to willing to forgive someone else because, mm-hmm. you know, and I think sometimes what we forget is that the people that sometimes don't have compassion for themselves are the ones that struggle with compassion in general, the most, mm-hmm. right. Because they don't give it to themselves. People right. who struggle with empathy the most, are the ones that don't give themselves any empathy. So therefore, and you, we all know this person, right? Like, you know, you've, we maybe had a coach that you were like, dude, can you get off my back a little bit? Hmm. Right. Never. He probably was never off his own back. Right. So why would I show you compassion? I don't even show compassion to myself. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that where we're trying to ascend to is is a society where we're way more forgiving to ourselves. We have a lot more empathy and compassion for ourselves. And therefore we have compassion and empathy for others, you know? And I feel like that's the place that, you know, we'd love to get to. And I think that like what this conversation inner child kind of, you know, brings up for me is just like, I think we were raised with a bit more of a brute force mentality. Mm-hmm. And I think that being able to go back and be hum- have the humility to go back and visit some of the older per- chapters of yourself and the reparent, when I think about the reparenting, concept i just think about like can i go back and like reparent that kid with a little bit less brute force maybe Mm -hmm. a little bit more like love and understanding Mm -hmm. maybe the trajectory is different maybe i'm I'm not so resistant to love you know maybe i'm not so maybe i won't struggle with like you know receiving love because maybe my relationship with love is you know better or at least Mm -hmm. better understood um things like that you know i know like i know an example for me is you know there was very little um, like affection shown in my house, like very little affection, you know? And so as a kid, like, you know, you don't get the affection that much. Like, you know, I would remember just like always feeling uncomfortable when like, you know, cause it wasn't, it wasn't displayed outside of how it was with me. Like if you see your mom and dad, like hug and they're affectionate with each other, then when it comes your way, you're kind of like, give me that. Like, you know, like, it's kind of like, but when it, it doesn't exist at all. And like, it's just kind of like when it does happen, it's in an awkward moment. Like it's a little bit like, Oh, to this day, I still feel that. To this day, I get into these affectionate spaces and I'm like, there's a little bit of a spider crawl moment happening where I'm like, um, you know, and like, and like the whole concept of like, you know, public affection is kind of weird to me. Like I died, I, I would, I would, it's not even a thing. I remember going to Europe and being like, wow, these people make out in public a lot. 
like when I was in France, there was like a lot of kissing in public, a lot of just like over the top affection too, like borderline, like a uh, room maybe like, mm, you know, but, I didn't think I, the movies got that right. I always thought they were exaggerating. When the no, dude, that. love is in the air. Love is in uh, the air. I was, I was v- always very impressed with, I was just like, damn. And it was my, it was, it was almost like, you know how sometimes you need to see something in a very extreme version for you to like yeah. understand. Like I was like, okay, that's too far. But I was like, I didn't even see anything close to this. It was yeah. absent. <laughs> It was non-existent true so you know where's the middle point you know that that's the whole pendulum thing we always talk about it was like going to france was kind of like the other end of the spectrum where i was like these people want to show their love like for you in public like and it was almost like the women were like if you don't it almost felt like there was like a an understanding of like if you don't show me love in public it feel i feel like you don't love me that was the energy i was getting like it was like it would be you would be like the side chick energy if you lived in France and like you never you know <laughs> showed affection with somebody publicly would be like are you hiding something like yeah. um because the culture just had it in it like you know it was just that's just how it was um but they're just more affectionate in general right like even when you greet strangers you kiss them on the cheek like one cheek the other cheek like right. there's just a lot more love like there's a lot more Italy Italy, Italy you know Italians got that energy too or it's ever everyone's just you know I love mm-hmm. that about Europe though I love the double side the, the we use that in our culture too the the two cheek kiss um it just feels very warm and nice and just yeah. it's very loving um but yeah I, I mean i know that that's a part of my childhood that i struggle with right like i just know that that's following me and not that that's relevant to interchild work because it wasn't it, it wasn't traumatic but i can tell that it's affecting how i live now right so if you can associate anything from your childhood that's affecting how you move now well then trauma would just optim- like it would just be a more extreme version of that right it would be and i think what you addressed there is kind of what i said at the beginning is like the initial definition was an approach to recognizing and healing trauma but from the deeper root of that it's like it's to the second definition which is uh to meet the needs that were um, went unmet and provide them by supporting uh, and reparenting with love and belonging the things that were missing the feelings again that's the emotionality right so what you're representing there is like, no, I didn't feel like that that was a traumatic event, but all of a sudden I can't deal with close intimacy right now. So it may not have shocked me, but at some point, like there was something that you were missing in that experience, right? There was a feel, there was a, a basic need that you felt um, you needed in that moment and you didn't get that. And so now you have a difficult relationship with it, right? That's, that's the relation to inner child work. Exactly. Exactly. And like those who, those who, you know, receive a lot of affection, give a lot of affection, right? It's just, right. it's just this concept that keeps coming back and forth, right? If you grew up in a household where there was a lot of affection, then you're probably going to be someone who gives a lot of affection. You know, it's not going to be as foreign to you. You're going to be like, oh, I was loved wholeheartedly. Like this is a human being in front of me. I'm just going to love them wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you, you can always, you can always kind of see that stuff too. When you watch, like, you ever see like your friend hang out with their parents or whatever, you're like, oh, this makes sense why you're like that. Like mm-hmm. your parents are like that, you know, your parents are very affectionate. And so you're very affectionate um, or compassion or whatever the word we're going to, we want to put in there is right. Um, but yeah, I think that it just, it really shows um, it really heightens your emotional intelligence when you can, you know, dig deep into your own self and, and find forgiveness, find like all those, all those good things. And you can give them to yourself. I think that it just puts you in a very advanced position to be able to, put give that to someone else you know mm-hmm. uh, yeah absolutely something that I, I if you feel willing to entertain I, I want to do uh, in this moment is you shared that story about that experience and you know that 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 break in intimacy that 
uh, you currently feel is an adult, right? So we're navigating the, the, the influence of pretty much everything that happened as a child is, is affecting us in some way, shape or form today, right? And psychologically speaking, just quickly, like zero to seven is your formative years. So zero to seven, anything that happened in that realm, maybe you can even say zero to eight, um, everything that you, that happened to you in that experience is what you believe in to be today. So if intimacy wasn't present in that moment, you didn't believe intimacy was okay. So now as an adult, you don't believe intimacy is, is something that's really present. Um, or you don't believe that it's normal, right? Again, that formative years at zero to seven. Um, and as you process that out loud to me, I could hear my own um, story kind of interweaving in that space. Um, and so something that I didn't necessarily say to myself, but I, I want to reference to you in the, in the realm of inner child work, there is questions to just start asking yourselves. And one of the questions that I want to pose to you and for everybody listening, I, I encourage you to ask yourself is, uh, what do you think that version of you needed to hear in that moment? Are you speaking to the more like the, the affectionate version of myself? Yeah. You gave that story about like, there were moments where affection just wasn't really around. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I it guess was just, it, it just, it just looked different. You know, that was, right. that was, it, it, I, I am in no way saying that I didn't think that my parents loved me because they did and a lot. And I knew that they did, but they didn't show love in a cuddly way, you know? And so as a young kid, you know, I think that, you know, just even me speaking out loud right now, I would say that like, you know, they do love you, dude. Mm. It just doesn't look that way. You know, like they do really, they do really care about you. You're their, you're their whole world. You know, they love you more than you could ever even really imagine. But it did, they didn't grow up in a, in a household that was full of like constant hugs and kisses and coddling. You know, they grew up in, they, they really, the word that they really, they grew up with tough love. Mm. That's what they did, right? They were raised with tough love and they raised you with tough love. But for them, it's not, it's not absent of the word love. It just is tough. It's a tougher version of it. So mm -hmm. when I would go and compare, and it's, I always, I, this is just super fascinating to me because, and this has been my constant struggle with just like, with, with, with you know, who I am in, in, in life. It's like, I'm in, the, I'm in two worlds at all times and trying to understand them both, right? It's like, I grew up in my household and then I live in North America. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like what's going on in these North American households is not reflective of what I'm seeing in my household. So would I would I receive tough love equally if I lived, let's say, in Africa where every neighboring neighbor was all giving tough love? We all would you wouldn't even feel like there was something missing. Right. You're getting tough love. I'm getting tough love. This is what love is. This is the new construct of love. Right. Why it's confusing is when you have more reference points. Right. Yeah. You have different versions of things that you're seeing. Right. You know, I would also see things that I think that even now, like, you know, you would see certain, like, I would see like my, you know, my friend's parents, like make out in front of the kids. Like, you know, we'd be, they would be like at the dinner table, they'd be like making out. Like, is that too much PDA in front of these kids? Like, you know, like, is that right? But in my head, I'm going, damn, your parents love each other. My parents don't even talk to each other. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean, like that might be too much, but like, yeah. And these are the, and this is why you might be feeling some type of way because of just, there's so many different ways about going about it. But when you're a kid, it's not like they were, we were being sat down being like, Hey, listen, we're giving you a form of what's called tough love. And then, but that's still love. It falls under the bracket of love. Right. And then this level, interpret it. there was just no interpretation. So you take it as like, shit, I must not be, be, be loved, you know, right. or like, or I don't understand. And 
I was able to understand the, the, let's call it like, you know, the coding of my parents, like love, like I was able to decipher it and be like, oh no, they love me and figured it out for myself relatively quickly. But I don't know if my sisters figured it out that fast, you know, they were probably maybe looking for more traditional looking love and never got it and internalized that differently. Right. And so that completely changes the trajectory of a kid, you know, like how, how they think, how they act in the future, you know? And so for me, that's what I would say is that it's, it was love in the end. It just, it looked different to my friends. And it was like, I found solace when I found like other people that got tough love too. Like when I would gut around my more immigrant friends and like what people who like, you know, I had like immigrant parents, first gens, whatever. I'd be like, Oh, okay, cool. Y'all getting the same shit. I right, cool. And it was kind of like, you know, you found, you found a sense of belonging and, and, and you, someone from there would have maybe got a little bit of a different version where they were like, no, 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 bro. My parent, you're, it's just called tough love, dude. Like your parents love you, bro. And I was like, oh yeah, you're right. Maybe they do love me. Like, and then you just, you go with that story. And then that's the one you're riding out to the sunset, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's what I would, that's what I would say in that particular instinct. Um, you know, what would I, what would I, what would that inner child want to hear is probably mm-hmm. they do love you, man. It just, it just looks tough. Uh, and they probably didn't receive that shit either. That's the other thing too is that it, it is just like a, a game of telephone raising children, right. right? Like they probably also got some tough love, tougher than ours. They're probably thinking they're doing us a, they're like, this is easy comparison to what we got. Right. You're getting 10 times more love than we got. So it's just a well massive said. game of telephone, you know? Um, well said. Yeah. And the, the, the question is, um, you know, in, thank you for sharing by the way i appreciate it it's a, this is the the challenge of the work is it can be hard to go back and and address some of those things and something that you kind of attested to a few times uh is that we never want to paint or have any vision of like our parents being bad or wrong or malicious or ill-intented right that's and, and that's something that we address deeply in the the mother father wound uh, episode uh, and you can go back and listen to that one. That one's highly popular. And this is the same kind of concept, right? Is this idea of reparenting. It's, it's not to say that uh, in those moments, we could have been a better parent, right? Or that in those moments, because we were feeling this way, that it must mean our parents are doing a shit job or that there's something wrong with them or it's all their fault. It's like, it's, it's the phrase that we're going to, again, drop into this conversation is reframing our perspective towards those situations of they were doing their best they were doing their best and and it wasn't enough and that that truth it's it's like it feels sometimes like that it wasn't enough can feel very attacking still and it's not it because it's the truth for all of us and the reference that I'll make that might be difficult to kind of comprehend at first is that uh, there is not a single person on this planet that can meet all of your needs, including your parents. So even if you think about your partner, right, if you're in a relationship or in your own friendship, uh, that person cannot fully meet your needs. It's impossible. Um, they don't know actually what you need because oftentimes you don't even know what you need. So growing up, um, there's, you, you're helpless. You have all of the needs. And it is impossible for a parent, even a mutually, um, like a full-on invested father and mother, um, to come into the space. It still wouldn't be possible. 
and you can do their best and there will still be things missing. This is the journey of the human experience. Things will still be missed. There are still lessons to learn as an adult. There are still moments to go back and do in a child work. It doesn't end. Um, there, there is no idea of perfection, right? If to say that they did everything they could and it was all perfect is this utopian naivety that doesn't actually exist, right? So we have to address, for, at least from my head, the way I believe it is, we have to address that it's uh, they were doing their best and that it still wasn't enough. And by addressing that it wasn't enough, we give ourselves the understanding that there is a little bit of reparenting needed. And the reparenting means going back and shifting our, um, our emotional attachment to those experiences by just, you know, maybe giving ourselves a little bit of coddling, giving ourselves a little bit of, of love, you know, fuck the word coddling because people don't love that word, um, giving ourselves the validation maybe that we needed in that moment. For me, it was like, I hear you, I see you, like you're in pain, right? That would be the validation of the reparenting, but that obviously wasn't happening at the time because look at my actions, right? I was getting repercussions over and over and over again because I was getting suspended in the office and I was, you know, acting out, like I'm getting repercussions, of course I am. And the shift there is the reparenting process of, um, you know, trying to understand what he was going through and trying to see and validate his experience and his pain. And then um, doing my best to give him that now in a way, right? Which is essentially giving me it now. Um, that's the journey and that's the process. And so that question, what, do, what did I need to hear most in my, in my childhood and in, in those experiences um, is a question to get away from making this process okay for everybody else, right? It's, it's like this idea that we need to make everything we do okay for everybody else. And it's never okay for us. Mm -hmm. it's, it's never okay for me um, to just do this for me. Like I need, because I know I struggle with pain today to go back and, and reparent that little version of me in order for me to feel better about pain today, right? That's what I need for me. And in the process, that might mean that I understand logically that I wasn't necessarily given that same thing when I was a child. And that's just the truth of it. It's not malicious, it's not ill-intended, and it's not to attack anyone, but it's also not to make anybody else feel comfortable about it because that's not what we're trying. That's not the vision. Because by doing so, then we start to validate like, oh yeah, I understand. Like totally, like, yeah, you're doing your best. And so, you know, I must've felt that way and it's all good. It's all good. It is what it is. And it's not, it is what it is. I have an emotional attachment to that experience. It sure as hell is not what it is, what it is. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's just being willing to, I guess, take radical ownership and responsibility and knowing that this is kind of your journey. Um, and then accept the fact that it might make people uncomfortable because it's going to require them to understand also that they did their best and it wasn't enough. Um, and there's no way to change that. Um, but that can feel very attacking. So I just wanted to give that reference. That's not what we're doing. Um, but the greatest question I think we can ask ourselves is in what ways was everybody doing their best in that time? Even for me, right? The little shit version of me that I always reference. In what ways was he doing his best? Because he was, he couldn't have done it any differently. So he was obviously doing his best with what he was given, with what he was surrounded with, with his circumstances, just doing his best. He was acting out in, in many people's eyes being a little shit, but he was doing his best he, with the ways in which he was feeling and the ways in which that was being validated or devalidated, unvalidated, whatever the word is, right? So um, for me, those two questions are the gateway into trying to understand this. What are the ways in which I'm always doing my best or did, did always do my best? What are the ways in which um, my parents were always doing their best without saying like, yeah, it's all good because it's not. It's just what, what ways were they doing their best? 
Um, and then in those moments where I'm struggling, um, the more difficult question is, what do I think I needed to hear in that moment? Um, what did I, what did I think, or what do I think I needed to feel in that moment uh, or experience in order to make that situation okay for me? Um, because then that allows me to feel okay about it today and accept more of what today is. And I'm not sure how that all resonates with you, but it's just a, a big long-winded way of describing, I guess, this experience. This, this, this inner child work means, means, means a lot to me because I've grown a lot from it. So I have a lot to say about it. Mm-hmm. No, I, I love your shares. I think that um, what great perspective on just how to like, you know, analyze those questions from like a different lens. And what I do like about what, what you're doing there is like, we're so easy to just go with a, and it's okay, route, Right. Like that, that's, that's continuing the numbing process. Right. Mm-hmm. That is like, that's not really admitting that you weren't okay, you know, and that what the, they, it was their best, but it wasn't enough is like, you know, at least offering, you know, a hand to how you're feeling, you know, mm-hmm. um, because if it was enough, then you wouldn't have felt that way. Exactly. Right. If it was enough, then you would have been good. Like the, the fact that you're feeling something is that it wasn't enough, but that's okay. Cause they were, tr- they were trying their best. Right. But it's, what's not okay is to, to, to be in the framework of, you know, they were trying their best. Um, and therefore it's good. It's fine. It's fine. No worries. Right? Cause then that just completely innates and discounts the, you know, the feelings that you're feeling. And it, we go down the, the rabbit hole of, you know, suppression again and not, not actually dealing with it and all those kind of things. So, mm. you know, it's, um, you know, I shared it, I shared it on this podcast before and I think even when we were, you know, kind of briefly discussing about this yesterday, it kind of came up was, um, you know, I felt like there was a lot of times, there's a lot of big chapters in my life where the support system wasn't really there. Um, you know, and any, whether it be a cheerleader support system or, you know, I think that my family, you know, a lot of the things that they did really well was they supported what I called the real needs, roof over your head, food, mm-hmm. place to sleep. And I think that sometimes they lack the ability to see outside of that, you know, and, and it makes sense if you think about it, right. It's like they came from an environment where those were the hard things to find consistent food, consistent shelter. And so all of a sudden, when you start providing that for somebody, they're like, oh, you, you, you like singing as well. I have to also support your talents. Like, well said. <laughs> this is the next, this is like, we've never done this. We, as a generation, we've achieved the unachievable. Like you have a place to sleep, you eat every single day. Like, you know, so for them, it was like, they didn't have the foresight at the time to be like, okay, cool. Like now that these kids basic needs are met, like what's the next level of like supporting these kids? You know what I mean? And I think that, you know, um, when I was being, when I was an athlete, when I was younger, like there was just very little support around uh, the activities that I did in terms of sport and, you know, guiding me and supporting me in those capacities, being a cheerleader for me in, in, in those capacities and really like, you know, maybe instilling that belief system. I felt like there was a lot of times at a very young age, like I think one of the reasons why I, I like speaking and I like, you know, motivational videos and stories and stuff like that was because those were what I was leveraging to find the motivation for the next day. You know, like I had a bad game. I'd go watch an interview with, you know, you know, with somebody or, you know, I would love when people would go on Oprah and they would talk or, you know, Will Smith would be on Oprah and he would talk about the triumph and the hardship and all of that. Cause I, I would find a lot of, motivation out of that. And I I gravitated to those things, right? Because I was really, I was looking for the parent for myself. Like I was trying to find the motivation for myself. Um, Yes. Yes. That's, that's the way in which you tried to meet your own need. Exactly. Exactly. 
And so at the time it didn't really feel like it was, it was absent because I was, I fulfilled it myself. I was like, Oh, I solved that problem. Right. I think where it all kind of came to a, a breaking point and this is, you know, it's kind of speaks to kind of, I guess this conversation is like, um, I had, a, I had a chapter of my life where it was, it was derailing really bad. And I think what the derailing at that moment where it would have really supported was I was my own cheerleader since I was in grade six. I was just tired. I was like, how many more times can I motivate myself to do something? Like, you know, it just, it just felt like I ran out of gas. Like it just, it was like, I'm 25 now you know, willed myself through university, willed myself through high school basketball, willed myself through middle school basketball, willed myself through any adventure I'd have ever taken at, you know, from when I could early remember till now, whether it's like self-talk, self-coaching, self-whatever. And I just think that I just ran out of, I just ran out of it. There was just no more. It was like, dude, I've been literally like mode, like, and I'm not, you know, I don't want to ever talk about other people's life, but it's just like, and I know there's people who've had it way worse than me too. So that the, it always gives you good perspective, but there's some people that haven't really had to like be their own brand champion until like 20. Like someone was a champion for them for like so many years of their life, whether it's their parent at their sidelines, whether it's like, you know, the second you fail, they're right there to speak to you. You know, they're like, it's okay. You know, it was a good game. It was a bad game. It was that it was whatever. I was that for myself for the whole entire time, the whole time. You know, some of the motivation, some of the reasons why I was able to kind of maybe even move out and take on challenges because I believed that I was like, well, you've been doing everything yourself anyways. You got this. Like what? Who's been your cheerleader before? So when people are like, oh, my God, it's crazy. Like, you know, you uh, it's like not all people when I was my friends that were in high school, they're like, you're going to go live on your own. Like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, well, my family's moved back to Vancouver. I'm going to stay in Winnipeg. Like, I'll just figure it out. That courage came from like, I've been raising myself up until this point. So in the supporting way, not in mm. I had to figure out that I had to like, I learned then what my value of my parents were because when they were not in the house, I realized, Oh shit, who pays for the roof over the head? Who pays for the water? Who pays for, then I realized like, Oh shit, this was the torch that they were holding. Like, this is what they were carrying for me all this time. Like, but then I got, then I got both the duties, you know, not only was I my own cheerleader at the time, it was like, cool. All the things that my parents were doing for me all those years in high school and university and stuff like that. Now that I just put that on my plate too. Like I just like doubled down now. And it was, it was exciting at the time, hard, obviously, but exciting, like, okay, cool. And then now you just, you're just an independent person for eight, like from 18 onwards and you just burnt out just, you know, and sometimes I wonder, I look, I, I, I wonder why, like, you know, I'm maybe lacking motivation or I'm lacking, I'm lacking this and I'm lacking that. And I'm always just like, man, you've been fighting, you've been fighting a good fight for a while. Like I haven't really been very much of that that love like that, like, you know, those people that are there right when you fail, you know, like I've had to like, I've had to deal with failure on my own and get myself back up, you know, like a lot of times and at really young ages too, where I didn't even know how to do it. I didn't even know how to get myself up, but I figured out a way and I tried and I found resources that were around and I always thought motivational quotes were cool because they, they, they like, you know, they gave me a little bit of fire for the day or, you know, I always found really, I always found coaches really inspiring because I was like, wow, like a, a basketball coach was the first ever time I was like, this guy cares about me and cares mm-hmm. about my success. Like, mm-hmm. oh, he's actually going to give me feedback on the day. Like if we right. lose and I'm just sitting on the bench, he's going to come over to me and he's going to talk to me. Like I remember feeling like, whoa, 
damn, I guess this guy's gone. And, and like, you know, I wore number four because it was my coach's number. And it was like the first real mentor I ever felt like I was like, oh, this guy cares about the things that I care about, you know, because at that age, as much as my parents want to be like, you know, you, like we put food over the head, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I didn't that as a kid, I did not consider the food that was on the table as an accomplishment. Right. That's not that's just what's going on here. Yeah. Like that's the basics. I must. And so for you, you're like, where's your gratitude? Where's your humility? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, I'm not even noticing that this is a gratitude. Like, I'm just like, not at that age, no way. But like everything that I'm pursuing, there was an absence of like understanding of what I'm trying to do, you know? Yeah. And still to, to, you know, even to this day, I feel like I've just kind of flipped my roles. Like, you know, you just, the whole, like, you know, I was a boy. Like I always say that I was like, I was a boy. And I was like, okay, I guess you're a man now. You know, and then it was just like it turned from that point on and it never really went back. Right. So now it's like it's, it's now I support them, you know, mm -hmm. so it's like it never really happened. You know, it never really there wasn't ever a time where it was like I carried the torch once for myself. And then that me carrying the torch for myself turned into carrying the torch for them. And it just there was kind of a little bit of that. So. You know what that brought up for me is this, um, I don't know if this resonates with you, but I think something that I've, I've come to uh, maybe not fully actualize and understand, and I don't want to generalize, but I think one of the challenges that we face um, uh, in, in many of our homes uh, as men is we're forced to grow up too quickly. Right? Mm -hmm. like, and so we're forced to, to become this person so rapidly, this one who can take care of and provide and do all the things and knows exactly, you know, blah, blah, blah. Don't, don't allow yourself to be weak because you have to be the adult like now. Uh, and it starts, at, it starts so young. It starts even just in the space of like my emotional um, devalidation. It's like, don't do that because when you're an adult, it's not going to work. So be an adult now kind of idea. Um, and it's like this, this rapid growth or this, this forced rapid growth infects us so much. That's just what I heard out of your story is like, I just, I just had to figure it out. I just did it. Um, because, uh, I, I had to validate myself, my whole experience. So of course I feel fine to do it now. Like there's no concern there. And then that leads into some of the ways that inner child work is very like obvious to see. Um, and one of the biggest ones is, uh, hyper-independence. It's like this idea that we have of like, it doesn't matter who's around, I, I can do it myself. Uh, and that shows up in simple ways. Like I'm not asking for directions as a man because I can do it myself. I can figure it. I've always done it myself. So I'll figure it out, right? Because I've, I've never been validated in not figuring it out, but I've been validated in figuring it out. So I'm going to figure it out um, and I'm just going to do it because uh, there's no other way, right? Like even in yours, there's no other way to go about it. If you don't do it, no one does it. Right. So if you don't do, if no one does it, then what, what then? So you don't, you're faced with no choice. You have to do it. Your brain couldn't process. I have to do it. And if that means that I have to, you know, get rid of all these other things, um, like my emotions and my feelings and my intimacy and my connection and love, if I have to get rid of all these things to figure out, then I'm just what I got to do. It's just what I got to do. How else am I supposed to get through this? Right. Cause it's just me. Um, and that's like, it speaks to your experience where you're like, whoa, like I'm just, I'm just done here. I'm just, I just, I've been doing this for so long. And it's the way that that translated to me. And I don't know if this will resonate with you, but the way that I translated to me said, uh, it's kind of like the idea of what Jim Carrey says about depression. 
in that depression is you, you or body, your soul saying, I'm sick of playing this character. Um, I can't play this character anymore. And what that says to me is like the character is the person you created on top of who you really are and all of the, the human that you are in all of those emotions and intimacy and connection and love. Um, and so by pretending that those things don't exist because there wasn't a choice, um, it's like depression is almost inevitable. And I'm not saying you went through depression. I'm just saying like that, that, that defeated state of like, what? God damn it, what? Uh, speaks to that a little bit. So um, yeah, just gives more did. context for me. Um, I did. So, I mean, that, 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 that analogy and that, that experience that Jim Carrey is talking about, I mean, it's spot on. Because I think mm. that like I was sick of the character that I was playing. The, the, I was sick of the story. I was sick of the, the movie itself. And it was the first time that I was ever sick of the movie. You know, at least I always was kind of interested in the movie. I just was, you know, like, should we shoot another scene? Maybe like, you know, I was always trying to strategize around maybe a different scene. Maybe like maybe let's change a couple of the characters around. But I was still very invested in the movie. And it was the first time I was like, let's delete the movie. I don't even care about the movie anymore. Like I'm just sick of the whole project. Like this is not going anywhere, you know? And um, the Jim Carrey reference really, really, really resonates to me because I, 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 it felt like my, my personal hype man just like disappeared, was gone. And all that was left with was these like, you know, never ending negative thoughts, this like hopelessness. And when you lose your, when you lose your own hype man, it's like, it's not really that's where all the that's where all the bad stuff happens you know like you lose confidence you lose you lose insecurity um and for a long time my hype man was like you know that was that was like like it felt like that was why i was achieving what i was achieving was because i had a cheerleader inside that was just like you know got better with age you know it was like we've been through high school we got, we're gonna we get through university like what what can't we do like we've done that you know was always had you know great perspective and was like you know was my guy really you know like it was like when i didn't feel it it was just like a constant reminder of like look what you've already overcome dude like what do you mean you don't you can't do this like mm -hmm. you know of course you're gonna travel to europe and you're gonna do that of course you're gonna live in australia like like mm -hmm. lived on your own when you're 18 this is this a natural progression like yeah. you know it's what's the difference between that and this it's it's still rent it's still this all all that's different is like you know you're not gonna have friends and stuff little did i know that that was really because what i really learned to that experience was my hype man died and i was in a city where there was nobody who knew me so i had nobody to support me and like and 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 cheer hype me up you know what I mean? It was like, mm -hmm. it was like a really, I had just moved to Sydney, Australia. I was cracking it mentally. Hype man died. And it was like, I don't even know anybody in this city. Right. And, and, and to meet people, you need confidence. <laughs> you can't, you don't meet strangers yeah. when you're down on your luck. Like, you don't, you don't be like, people can pick up on energy. You're not even smiling. Yeah. You're not even. And the worst part about it was I basically landed in that city and I was like already unpleasant. I was already going through the, you know, you know, the building blocks of depression. And it was just like, fuck. I don't know a single person. And like, I can't, I couldn't even pay me to be happy right now. Like, and I just was like, life was the easiest when I was sleeping. And like, mm -hmm. that's when I realized I was like, uh oh, the second yeah. I opened my eyes, I was like, nope, I don't want to play back to sleep, please. And it's like, I think that 
if you live in that state long enough, that's where, you know, I could sometimes when I can empathize with the idea of, you know, maybe suicide or something like that, like, it's this idea that like, well, if you wake up enough times and don't want to play the game. Don't want to keep feeling and, that feeling. End the game. You know, and it, mm. it was it was my my real life experience of being close enough to the fire where I was like, this is how you get to that thought process. Okay. You got a choice to make, Anwar. Are you gonna fight or are you gonna are you giving up right now? What are you choosing? And it's, I sat on that question for a couple of days mm. and it was, I don't know how I came to the conclusion or why I decided to keep going, but when I reflect on it, I think letting the people that cared about me and bet on me, letting them down is I think what it was. I think, I think, I think I was done with me for sure. I think the people that believe in me and the people that loved me and showed me love and all those kind of things, I think, I think I chose to keep fighting for them. And that's, that's, that's just the honest truth. So, you know, I think something that uh, is very present in this conversation. Uh, I can hear uh, the listeners. I can I can hear the men out there listening to this episode and being like, I don't know why you guys think I want to feel that way. Like I don't want to I don't want to cry by looking back. I don't want to I don't want to reflect and feel those feel like why would I want to feel that feeling? Why would I want to go back and relive those emotions and those experiences? Like why? What's the? Sounds stupid. It's like a waste of time. And um, I hear you. I hear you. That's how I've lived my whole life. Um, for the better part of it. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Even still, as I work through this today, um, this inner child work, I still find myself being like, I don't understand. Like, yeah, he was sad. Okay, cool. Like, I get it. He was sad. Of course he was sad. That's obvious. Of course he was in pain. That's obvious. Um, and the value for this, to paint the full picture of doing this kind of work and doing what Anwar just did in that reflecting on like, you know, really understanding how he was meeting his own needs in his entire life because he had no choice and recognizing that I was, you know, in my own ways doing the same, you know, I was lashing out to ensure that it arrived um, instead of meeting it myself and just going through these experiences, what it gives you today. And I don't know, Anwar, maybe I'll let you kind of paint the full picture for yourself as well, but um doing this work is tough. And that's why it's, you know, inner child work, it's tough and it's work. And what I also recognize is it's mostly tough for a moment for me. I have that experience of feeling what he was feeling, fully understanding, fully empathizing. And then I come out of that and I'm like, okay, whoa, that was a wild experience. And then all of a sudden I feel more free. And I don't even really know fully how to describe it other than um, 
the way that Peter Crone does it so well. He's like, what I did was I liberated myself from my own suffering. And I didn't even know in many ways I was suffering. So to be able to walk into an experience like this, have this conversation, have that cry, it's like a little part of me has been liberated from a little bit more of suffering, which then gives me the opportunity to feel just more free. And that to me translates as like less tense, less stressed, more authentic, I think is a huge one for me. Uh, And just, there's just more life and vitality to me by liberating that suffering that I didn't even know I was in. And that's what I think for me is the power of this conversation. Why I'm so happy we're having it is I didn't really even fully comprehend that until this moment. Like I've just been slowly chipping away at the suffering, right? Chipping at the way the block around me, that's just this, this, this block of suffering. It's chip, 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 chip. And every time there's just more air, there's more sunlight, there's no, there's more breath, uh, so it's just so, it's so powerful. So that's, for me, I highly recommend doing what, you know, we just did in your own experience. Um, but to jump back to you, uh, I really honor you for looking at that and being like, what did get me through? And, you know, w- what was I processing? And whoa, that definition of depression, oh, that, that hit way deeper than I thought it would. Um, that's exactly what I was going through. Um, w- for the full picture, what does this or how does this work land for you in the, the process? Because you're, you're kind of just walking into it like I am. Um, what have you noticed is kind of that full end of, I guess, the result in a way that you've noticed? I think that the work is very valuable. Um, I think that, you know, the inner child work, inner child healing is very powerful. I think that it allows you to... Um, I think that we are we all are ultimately just you know different storylines you know different you know and some of us are you know writing writing you're writing the story now some of us have never written our stories and you know you're trying to be empowered to find the pen and to actually start taking control of your life and writing your own story and I think that just like as you know if we're going to take the metaphor of you know being the author of your own you know being the author of your own book I think that the inner child work allows you to understand the narratives the chapters before you a bit more clear so you can write the next ones better, you know? Mm. I think that if you're just blindly kind of writing the story a little bit now, you're just kind of like ripping through pages and you're just kind of like, I think what the inner child work does is it allows you to be real about the character development, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it's a little bit of like slow down to speed up, you know? Mm. You got to slow down, understand yourself a little bit better, a little bit deeper, a little bit... Um, you know, I love the I love the author analogy because it's like that person was writing the story at one point, right? They're writing with that. But maybe if we go back a couple of chapters and we like reread it again and go, oh, maybe I read this paragraph incorrectly before and I actually meant this, not this, you know, it might influence how you write the next couple of pages, you know? And so I think that we do as humans, I think we do a natural good job of reflecting within maybe like a two year window, like you might go back two years tops and, you know, maybe look as far as five years out. I think that what this inner child work does, it, it stretches your capacity to think, can you go five years back? Can you go seven? Can you go 10? And then maybe can you project 10 years more, you know, instead of living in this small frame of two years in front, two years in the back, you know, and just living in that bubble where you only really understand those that that's, you know, circumference really, really well. 
I think it just gives you a, it gives you ability to like look deeper, look further back and, you know, hopefully project further forward. So. Mm. Love that. That was great. That was a great way to kind of bring that full, full picture into, into context is the author. I love that analogy. That was great. Uh, all right. So that's in our child work. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's, that's the episode, my friends. Thank you for listening. Thank you for indulging with us and being a part of this journey. You know, we go there here. Um, we do our best to go there as often as possible. And sometimes we, we uh, take a little longer to, and sometimes we don't at all. And as often as we can, we always will to go into the spaces that uh, nobody else wants to go into, to just open up different perspective, you know, that 1% shift in whatever it is. You don't have to start inner child work today. It's not what we're saying. Uh, we're saying, this is an interesting concept. If you want to try it, try it. Add it to your tool belt if you want right? For us, we've added it to our toolkit here and there. It's not something that I'm actively doing 24-7. It shows up when it shows up, and then I, I get the opportunity to face it, um, or I don't. Um, it depends on where I feel like I'm at, and that's the journey, and that's what we hope to provide. So the last thing that I'll kind of finish with is uh, just a few kind of quick takeaways is what does the inner child work look like? So first and foremost, if you notice in this conversation, we've both acknowledged and accepted that there is a little version of us that does live. And that speaks to Anwar's looking back even farther than just the two-year window, just accepting that, yeah, there was a little version of me at one point. And maybe even coming to the conclusion of like, who I am today is just a bigger version of that version of me. It's just a bigger version. It's the same, right? So it's accepting and acknowledging that. And then uh, if you feel willing to, uh, just exploring what happened back then, just, just exploring. You don't need to go find anything traumatic or extreme. Uh, just go and say, you know, I wonder if there was a time where maybe my needs, needs did go unmet. Or if I have a bad relationship or a struggling relationship with anger today, I wonder why that could be. Maybe I'll go back and explore and see where that could have come from um, and, and see if I can just kind of relate to that little boy. And then I like Anwar's analogy. So I'll, I'll leave that in the sense of imagine if... Uh, the six-year-old or seven-year-old version of you showed up at your doorstep today and you had to have a conversation with them, what would that conversation look like? And what would that bring up? And this is not to say you have to go into the traumatic spaces that are really like too deep and, and too intimate. I, I would argue that inner child work gives you the basic tool um, to do some of it by yourself, but I, I would definitely suggest doing it with the support of someone a coach, a therapist, whatever, just to ensure that you are in a safe space um, and that the re-traumatization process doesn't, doesn't come to fruition. Um, but for us, we're just starting a lot on the surface stuff and that's what we're, what we're supporting you with. So thank you. We appreciate you. And to bring the energy at the end, thank you so much. Please subscribe. Please download. Please give us as much love as you can, uh, as we always give to you so we can support this podcast and its growth development and really just reaching more men. Like We're just here to help 1% shift in any way that we can. And uh, the more we can do that as a collective, the better our world can be. And we're here, there's, we're here in brotherhood with all of you and we're here to support. So thank you for listening. Y'all are incredible. And we'll see you on the next episode. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Masculinity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to join us next week as we put out content every single Wednesday. Our goal with this platform is to create a community 
to support men on their journey of becoming conscious kings. And in saying so, if you took any value out of this episode or previous episodes, please share, download, subscribe. And if you're feeling really up to it, go ahead and leave a review. You can follow us at Modern Masculinity. Remember, the K, it's with a K, not a C, to represent the mask that we wear. And like always, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.